0: There were three hundred and sixty-one papers on lithium published in two thousand and twenty-three. Today, we bring you the ones that inform our practice. Welcome to the Carlat Psychiatry Podcast, keeping psychiatry honest since two thousand and three.
1: I'm Chris Aiken, the editor in chief of the Carlat Psychiatry Report,
0: and I'm Kelly Newsom, a psychiatric NP and a dedicated reader of every issue. Lithium is the oldest psych med still in use. And I mean old. There are reports of its use in psychiatry going back to the 1870s, long before John Cade rediscovered it in 1949 from his hospital post in Melbourne, Australia. My hometown. But each year we learn more about this drug. And today we'll update you on the 2023 edition to the Lithium Library.
1: Our first papers deal with lithium's efficacy, and here we have a significant update from the International Society of Bipolar Disorders. In 2023, the society released guidelines on the early course of treatment in bipolar one and bipolar two disorder. In other words, which medications you should start first when you encounter a young person with a new diagnosis of bipolar disorder. We see guidelines like this all the time, and they usually do little more than recite the list of FDA approved options. It's good bedtime reading if you have trouble falling asleep. But this one woke me up. They actually took a stand. Here is what they said quote, Available evidence suggested that in the early course of the illness, lithium use was associated with lower recurrence risk compared with other mood stabilizers. Unquote. Inside the paper, they go on to describe studies where lithium not only provided better prevention, but also improved long-term functioning better than antipsychotics. A lot of this data gets overlooked because it is not randomized, but when we're asking questions like, which medication will put you in a better place over the next 10 years, we're unlikely to see randomized trials that last that long and we need to look at all the evidence we have. Science might be served by looking only at randomized controlled trials, but patients are not.
0: Here's an eye-opening finding from one of those long-term observational studies. The COBE trial from 2020 followed 413 children and adolescents with bipolar disorder for an average of 10 years. After adjusting for confounding variables, Those on lithium had half as many suicide attempts, fewer depressions, less aggression, fewer hospitalizations, and better psychosocial functioning. Our next study is a meta-analysis of treatment-resistant depression, not bipolar, but unipolar depression. We've seen a lot of papers like these, and while they all agree on the basic approach, augmentation is better than switching, and the best augmentation strategies are lithium, antipsychotics, Thyroid and the ketamines, they differ on how they rank those options. It all depends on which studies they include and how they slice the numbers. So we'll take this next result with a grain of salt. Itsuki Teraro and colleagues from Japan compared four of the top augmentation options for treatment resistant depression in a network meta analysis of 22 trials namely, aripiprazole, lithium, IV ketamine, and intranasal S ketamine. All of them worked, but lithium and ivy ketamine rose to the top for both efficacy and tolerability.
1: Some of our listeners are going to find holes in this next study, but it does build on a lot of other trials that came to the same conclusion. Lithium lowers hospitalization rates. Mauricio Pompili along with colleagues from Harvard in the U.S. and Sapienza University in Italy, measured hospitalization rates for 260 patients with either bipolar or unipolar major depression, both one year before and one year after starting lithium. The hospitalization rates fell from 40% to 11% on lithium. Other trials have confirmed this effect with much larger samples and better controls, including one that focused on unipolar depression and came to a surprising result. They found that lithium was the only med that reduced psychiatric rehospitalization rates, not the antidepressants and not the antipsychotics. Now, if all this observational data is true, it is concerning because lithium is not very popular in hospitals, possibly because it's a little slower to work than the antipsychotics are.
0: Several antipsychotics are approved for bipolar depression. Cariprazine, lumateperone, lurasidone, olanzapine-fluoxetine combo, and quetiapine. And with their large rigorous trials, it can seem like they have an evidence-based edge over lithium. This next study takes a different view. Jeff Rakowski and colleagues from Emory University compared trials of lithium and antipsychotics in bipolar depression and found that it was apples and oranges. The antipsychotic trials enrolled a select group of treatment-responsive patients, while the lithium trials enrolled the opposite. All of the lithium trials involved inpatients, while nearly all of the antipsychotic trials involved outpatients. Most antipsychotic trials excluded people who hadn't responded to other treatments or had difficult-to-treat features, like chronic episodes, rapid cycling, psychosis, and suicidality, while lithium let them in. The bottom line? Next time you hear that antipsychotics have better evidence in bipolar depression than lithium, ask what type of bipolar depression they are talking about. There are three main reasons to use lithium. One, bipolar disorder, where it works in all three phases of the illness, depression, mania, and maintenance. Two, major depression, where it works to augment antidepressants and prevent future episodes and is particularly useful for prevention of depression after ECT. Three, prevention of suicide. Lithium is one of only two meds that prevent suicide. The other is clozapine. Its anti-suicide effects are partly independent of its mood benefits, and they apply to both unipolar and bipolar disorder. But a study from 2022 called all that to question.
1: This was the largest randomized controlled trial of lithium for suicidality to date, and lithium failed to work. Before this, lithium's anti-suicide effects were backed up by huge observational studies and a few randomized trials where suicide was looked at as a secondary outcome. So when Ira Katz and colleagues designed this new trial, they thought they were just confirming what was already known, but things did not go as planned. After enrolling 519 veterans with mood disorders who had made a recent suicide attempt, they took a peek at the data and were surprised to find that lithium made absolutely no difference in the rate of future suicide attempts. They halted the study at that point as it looked pointless to enroll anymore. Now, since that study came out, people have begun scrutinizing everything to explain it. Maybe the dose was too low. Well, half of the patients were at subtherapeutic lithium doses with an average level of only 0.54 in their serum, or maybe they didn't test it long enough, but, you know, the study went the full year. Or maybe the veteran population had too many comorbidities. Or maybe they weren't even taking the lithium. And that brings us to this year's paper. Alexandros Simulovich joined with some of the original investigators to look at that last possibility, filtering the data in the study so that they included only the visits where patients were actually taking the lithium or the placebo. The dose in this smaller sample was still on the low side, 600 mg a day with an average blood level of 0.5, but when they looked at this highly adherent sample, they did see a mild reduction in suicide attempts in the lithium group. This is a secondary analysis, so it doesn't prove that lithium prevents suicide in the trial, but it does tell us that the trial has some flaws, including non-adherence, that compromised its results.
0: Let us pause for a preview of the CME quiz for this episode. Earn CME through the link in the show notes. 1. Which dosing strategy improved tremor on lithium? A. Extended release formulation. B. Instant release formulation. C. Dividing the dose twice a day. Or D. Given the dose all at night. Next, we have a few studies that looked at the patient experience of lithium. Sometimes these finer points are lost in the quantitative world of rating scales. Two studies from 2023 surveyed patients about their experience with lithium and found positive experiences in 60 to 70 percent of patients. One of them, by Lucas McEwen and colleagues from London, dug deeper, interviewing patients about their experiences with quetiapine, seroquel, and lithium. They found this paradox, which rings true from my own practice. Quote Greater apprehension about side effects was reported for lithium prior to treatment initiation, but greater experience of negative side effects was reported for quetiapine.
1: Another study compared lithium and quetiapine, this time through the more traditional lens of a randomized controlled trial. This was interesting to me because in Terence Ketter's textbook on bipolar disorder, He calculated the efficacy, the number needed to treat, for all mood stabilizers up to 2015. And lithium and quetiapine had the best overall effect in all three phases of the illness, depression, mania, and prevention. So this new study paints a more accurate picture because it included only head-to-head trials of quetiapine and lithium. Three of them in all, all of them involved bipolar depression and in line with the earlier analysis of lithium and quetiapine, both came out equal in terms of their efficacy and their side effects.
0: But wait, the patients reported more problems with side effects on quetiapine than on lithium.
1: That is true in the qualitative study where they interviewed patients in a more open-ended way. You know, I think that randomized trials do a poor job of capturing side effects because they don't have a good way of measuring how much the side effect bothered the patient. It's not how many side effects you have, but how much they bother you that matters. In analyses like this one, they take a coarse measure, which is that they count up only the side effects that made people stop the med or drop out of the trial. But that leaves out all of the moderate side effects, the ones with a slow build that wear people's quality of life down gradually over time, like fatigue or dry mouth or sexual dysfunction, all those side effects that are moderate but not so dramatic that cause people to stop the med. My own experience is more true to the study that you quoted, Kelly, where patients are more bothered long-term by side effects on quetiapine than lithium.
0: The next study looked at just that. Which mood stabilizers patients with bipolar disorder are most likely to stop? John Lintunen and colleagues in Finland looked at pharmacy data for 33,131 patients with bipolar disorder. 60% had some non-adherence and 30% had pretty significant non-adherence. But when it comes to voting with your feet, lithium was a medication they were most likely to stick with.
1: Kelly, I'm struck by something you mentioned in that study of patient interviews, that they were more afraid of side effects on lithium, but they actually experienced more side effects on quetiapine. When people are afraid of a medication, it's likely to accentuate any side effects they might have and dampen down the benefits as well. So you need to address those fears before starting lithium. If I'm working with a patient who is particularly fearful of lithium, I'll give them the lowest dose possible, like 150 milligrams, and I won't raise it until they feel more confident in their ability to handle it. I'll tell patients that I'm committed to making lithium tolerable for them and that they should contact me about any side effects they encounter because nearly all of them are treatable. And this next study brings us a new tool to manage one of those side effects, tremor.
0: The trial compared two forms of lithium head-to-head, instant and extended release, to see which had lower rates of tremor. The type of tremor lithium causes is called a postural tremor, which means it gets worse when the patient tries to hold a posture against gravity, like holding a glass, a fork, or a golf club. Federica Palacci and colleagues from Italy randomized 73 patients with stable bipolar disorder and a lithium tremor to either stay on the instant release or switch to extended release. Within a week, they could see a difference. Tremor improved in 63% who switched to extended release versus 20% who stayed with the instant release. The main limitation was that only the raters and not the patients were blind to the treatment. Before this, we mainly had before and after comparisons of instant and extended release. And those generally favored the smoother plasma levels of the XR lithium for most side effects, especially nausea and tremor. But this is the first randomized comparison. Other ways to treat lithium tremor include propanolol, 40 to 120 milligrams a day, and vitamin B6, 500 milligrams a day.
1: Recent papers highlighted many newly discovered medical benefits with lithium, which lowers the risk of COVID infection, cancer, osteoporosis, and dementia. Lithium has anti-aging effects and lowers rates of all-cause mortality more than other mood stabilizers, a finding that was confirmed by two large studies from 2023 that looked at mortality rates in bipolar. On the other hand, lithium's most serious risk is renal impairment. Nobody thought much about renal risks on lithium or even checked creatinine levels until 1977. That was when the first human evidence came out. Before 1977, animal studies had raised concerns about renal risks. But read through the PDR on any drug, and you'll see all kinds of potential risks from animal studies that we think little about. It's when it which human studies that we pay more attention. In 1977, Danish pathologists examined the kidneys of 14 patients who presented with acute lithium toxicity. What they saw surprised them. They expected to see acute injury in the kidneys, in line with the acute toxicity that the patients underwent, but there was hardly any. Instead, they saw chronic injury to the kidneys, suggesting that the renal injury had built up over years of lithium exposure.
0: Fast forward to 2023, and here's what we've learned. First, it's very difficult to estimate the risk of renal problems on lithium, because bipolar itself raises the risk of renal disease. Next, are we talking about the risk of renal decline, the slowing of the kidneys that happens to most of us as we age, or the risk of full-on renal disease, as in stage 3 and beyond? Let's take those one at a time. Current estimates are that lithium slows the kidneys about 30% more than what you'd expect with normal aging. And when it comes to overt renal disease, lithium doubles the risk. About one in four patients on long-term lithium will develop stage 3 renal disease, which means their EGFR falls to 60 or below.
1: Those figures are from a recent review by Iwa Ferenstajan, Rachokowek, and Janusz Rybakowski but they don't include a new paper that came out this year with surprising results. Alessandro Bosi and colleagues in Sweden compared rates of renal problems over 10 years in 10,000 patients on either lithium or valproate Depakote. Surprisingly, the rates of both acute and chronic renal injury were the same in both groups, although they did see an increase on lithium when the serum level went at or above 1.0. That 1.0 cutoff was interesting because other studies suggest you can avoid renal problems on lithium by keeping the serum level below 0.8. Most experts agree that dosing lithium entirely at night also lowers the risk of renal problems, and that is based on observational data from the 1980s but experts argue over whether instant release or extended release is better for the kidneys. They agree that whichever one you give, you should give it all at night. In terms of that latter disagreement, it's those who think that you need to minimize the duration of exposure during the day who favor the instant release, which cuts off faster. While those who think that you need to minimize the peak levels argue for the extended release. My own view is that we don't have the data to answer that question, but for now, I'll stick with extended release for its superior tolerability overall.
0: A recent review from Michael Gitlin reminds us of who is at greater risk for renal problems on lithium. Older patients and those with diabetes or hypertension, but the greatest risk is the dose and duration. The longer you take lithium and the higher the dose, the greater the renal risk. Dr. Gitlin recommends following the estimated glomular filtration rate, or EGFR, which gives a more accurate measure of renal function than creatinine. And here's the cutoff. Get a nephrology consult if the EGFR falls rapidly or goes below 60 mL per minute, which is also the cutoff for stage 3 renal disease. For creatinine, a nephrology consult is in order if creatinine goes above 1.5.
1: Journal articles were not the only place where lithium was making news in 2023. This year, the FDA gave the go-ahead for a new branded formulation of lithium to launch its first clinical trials. Learn more about this crystallized lithium in next week's podcast.
0: Stay up with the latest research through Dr. Aiken's social media feed, The Daily Psych. Search for Chris Haken MD on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Threads. Earn CME for this podcast through the link in the show notes, or subscribe online for all our content and get $30 off with of the promo code podcast. Thank you for helping us stay free of commercial support.